This podcast contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. really frustrating when it's your favorite time of the year aka fall and you're baking the best food and your house should smell like cinnamon buns and joy but instead you have four cats because you love animals well thankfully for me i was introduced to scent air scent air is the real deal with over 25 years of experience scenting hotels event spaces and even creating those cozy fall vibes you feel in stores this time of year and the vibe i hope to have in my house instead of cat vibes The fall collection is available right now in their online store. It includes limited release cornucopia, cranberry apple marmalade, and pumpkin pie, plus year-round favorites apple and oak and vanilla bourbon. Vanilla bourbon is personally one of my favorites, although the cornucopia is absolutely disrespectfully delicious. Scent air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. So I can confirm, I was just told by one of my friends the other day, I wouldn't even know you had cats if you didn't tell me. And that's when I knew that I had arrived. And if you're interested in a little bit more of a modern approach, the Scent Air app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. I personally don't use that feature. I just let it run rampant because I do have so many pets. Um, But Maddie uses the app and has enjoyed it. So if you're like us, and whether it be that you're 420 friendly, you have pets in your home, or you just really enjoy the smell of fall, we can't recommend scent air enough. It makes me happy to know that people come into my home and feel nothing but cozy. This fall, try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code CREEPY for 25% off your order. That's promo code CREEPY at scentair.com, S-C-E-N-T-A-I-R, for 25% off of your order. Welcome to the Creepy Cannabis Podcast, where we chat all things creepy, cannabis, true crime, paranormal, and weird. I'm Madeline. I'm Rachel. And... I know that it's going to come as a shock to all of you, but um, we're coming fresh off the the technical difficulties, as one does. Well, I got new mics, because I thought we deserved them after taking a 16-month hiatus. <laughs> Guys, we want you to know that only true fans... The, the Some people are still starting to listen, and, and thank you. We love you, because we believe that you understand our plight, because... <laughs> Presumably, if you're here, you do like true crime, but you also like 420. And so what I imagine is a bunch of little 420 babies sitting around in their house, listening to our podcast, vibing over our mutual love of death, destruction, and cannabis. That's on that. Yeah. We had given a lot of updates the last time, but it didn't work, and I don't want to do it again. So uh, real fast... Cannabis became legal in our state. Maddie had to work her ass off. She didn't see the light of day for two months. She bought a new house. Her dog is adorable. There's also a cat. She has great heels. She wears heels to work. It's wild. (laughs) I don't understand it. It's honestly sadistic. And that's on facts. And uh, what are you smoking over there? (laughs) So. (laughs) In your brand new house. Which, by the way, guys, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. We got really lucky. I love Um, it With it. Because it's not, I mean, it is expensive, don't get me wrong, but some of these fucking houses will be like $3,500 for the crustiest, dustiest, mustiest yes. box on the fucking block. It's not that it's not pricey, it's that for the price and the area, the house is immaculate. And mm-hmm. the way that the house was designed, like the fixtures they used and the painting they did on the walls, it's like they were preparing for Madeline to move into this house. It's like her make. style. It's great. I yeah. love it here. Um, anyway, that's all on that. So, so. No updates for you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I finally got a new psychiatrist who, uh, well, you know what? I do I do advocate for mental health, so I will tell mm-hmm. you. Um, I'm not going to go into everything I was diagnosed with because I don't remember all the terms, but I did get diagnosed with bipolar disorder and um, 
I always forget the C word, something PTSD, but it's like mm-hmm. ongoing. And they started me on a new medication because I've been very open that I did not do well on the Zoloft. Mm-hmm. I had some really bad, like, great. yeah, suicidal issues with that. So I'm on Abilify and I take Trazodone to help me sleep. And mm-hmm. then there's a third medication and I can never remember the name. I want to say it's like Hydroxyzin that I take for like acute anxiety. Okay. And it's been helping quite a bit. I've only been on it for a couple weeks. So, but, uh, that's your sign that if you're struggling mentally, it is okay to get help and uh, carry it on. Did you know that you can do ketamine no. for anxiety? No. I do, like, smoke, but I do feel like like I'm not smoking today because I feel like I've reached the point where I need a little bit of a tolerance break because mm-hmm. I'm not seeing, like, the medicinal effects that I was before, but I think that's just due to my mm-hmm. lax consumption. Like, I'm not really using it medicinally. I'm using it more, like, Mm-hmm. recreationally yeah. like I mean look they legalize in our state okay let me have a good time Ooh, yeah it's been a wild ride but since whenever I start new medication I usually slow down on it quite a bit just because I want to understand best you know what's helping yeah me how they interact with each other that yeah. is really important um, yeah but everything I'm doing is under the guidance of my psychiatrist and my therapist so they're aware of how much I smoke and that's the other thing if you are seeking help whether that be therapy or medicine just be very very honest if you live providers. in a state where it's where you Legal. can yeah yeah don't be honest if you live in like arkansas yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> be be honest with how it affects you and be honest that you're including it with your medication regimen if you can safely be honest about yes. that um Definitely. thankfully our state is bullshitted about a lot but not they're, cannabis anymore yeah they're not torturing us about the cannabis they've got other <laughs> concerns they got so damn casual that they said oh you actually can't refuse service if somebody doesn't want to profile but the profile is the only way to track the allotment. So now they're telling us that there's basically no allotment. Well, a bunch of people. So I, you guys know this, but I grew up in church. And so I follow a lot of church people on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were posting how they got something in the mail that was literally from the government that said, cannabis is legal in your state. Here's your local dispensaries. And it had like a list of dispensaries on it. And From the government? From the I, well, from the, not the feds. No. For, it, said, <laughs> it said from your local government. Yeah. And I guess it was just like. Probably the MCA. I don't know. Outreach. Yeah. So Well, anyway. that's great because here I am thinking, well, like basically limited all of our advertising options. Oh, to don't nothing. worry. They took care of it. In fact, we went to the state fair and got a cease and desist <clears throat> after the first two weekends. We got a cease and desist letter. Why? Because I, because you can't advertise anywhere where you can't prove that the audience is 85 percent 21 plus and it's the state oh because so. it's the fair so there's children there and there it probably isn't the right ratio but you know what you should do a lot of people enjoyed it while we were there though you guys should go definitely to a lot do of the dirty reptile looks. circuit you should mm-hmm. get tables in because repticon is really popular yeah. and not to be rude i'm so sorry for profiling you guys but it's soups popular with the 30 something uh nerdy white men mm-hmm. and um i find them to be my target audience for many things. Yeah, there are a lot of those in the dispensary, <laughs> for sure. So, um, yeah, we're doing a snake show. We're doing one in uh, <clears throat> the state of Virginia in um, the end of the month. We're do- we have a bunch of babies we have to take and sell. And then um, I'm doing, like, some outreach with some kids there. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a little field trip coming. Okay. And we're doing some outreach on, you know, introducing children to reptiles and not developing fear of snakes as, like, children. Cute. So we successfully rambled again. Um, yeah, I didn't even say the strain yet. <clears throat> if you're still with us, we're talking about Apologies. the strain now. So the strain is called Lucky Orchard. It is a cross between... I don't know why I said cross so weird. <laughs> it's like frost. Like a the cross twin. between apple fritter and runts. And what? <laughs> runts. Runt? Like R-U-N-T? Z. Oh, runs. Runts. Spell it. <laughs> Oh, runs. I think I can shed some light on this whole pan-pam situation. Tupperware. <laughs> Did you see that Tupperware? He said, I can tell you with 100% certainty. It but is, it is Tupperware. Tupperware. <laughs> uh, but the logic uh, for Tupperware was sound. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> if you think about it. Um, so, yeah, it is uh, typically around, like, 25 to 27%. This one is 24.82, so I feel lied to and deceived. Oh, okay, 24% THCA, 
1.3% THC. When THCA is, like, when you light it on fire, basically, it turns that into THC. Oh, I didn't know that. <clears throat> so that's you why always it counts educate as the me. Overall, that, then it would be, like, really, it's kind of like 25, 26% THC. I want to give it a whiff. Let me smell it. Um, you guys can listen to the ASMR of me opening this bag to take a whiff. But it delivers a very calming lift um, that spreads throughout your body, leaving you deeply relaxed and couch locked, which is great for back pain. <clears throat> um, it smells good. It really helps to relax, relax the mu- muscles and put you at ease with the world around you, which is kind of why I picked it because my freaking back hurts. Um, it will it's been reported that it helps you feel calm happy relaxed sleepy hungry um and it basically has like a fruity pineapple spicy sweet smell and flavor it absolutely that description is perfect because when i sniffed that bag it smelled so good it literally smelled like it to me it smelled like pineapple on a grill Mm. like it smelled like grilled fruit yeah so if you have um, anxiety, appetite loss, chronic pain, depression, insomnia, nausea, it could be a good strain for you. So that sounds delightful, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm a little jelly, but I'm staying strong to my cause. <laughs> because children, you can be 420 friendly and you can still sometimes just say no to drugs. <laughs> when you need to remember things. When you need to remember important details. This is just a big case and a lot of information. Also, I think we should start time stamping in our thing when the actual like case starts in case mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, I want to stick around, but I don't care to hear anything you have to say otherwise. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Maddie had never heard of it, but it is an infamous case. It's a case I've heard covered on a lot of other podcasts over the years, too, because it's from, like, the 70s. It's not a new case. Um, But I'm not going to tell you the title of it. I'm doing this one a little bit different. I just want to get into it and let you just experience the story, and then we'll go into everything else. So our story starts with a woman named Lucinda Lynn Schaefer, who was born on July 9th, 1962. She went by Cindy and she was the July cancer just like me. So I don't know why. It always makes me feel really weird when victims have like things in common with me. I guess mm-hmm. it just feels like too close to home. Mm-hmm. She was beautiful. And I know every time we're like, they light up a room. But the pictures I saw of her, everyone she was smiling. Everyone she was smiling so happy. And it was like the 70s. So she just looks so cool and so yeah. such a vibe. Yeah. And she just was very bright looking in her photos um it's lucky to be photogenic she she was she was very beautiful um she had just moved to torrance california on june 5th so like she just rolled into town to stay with her grandparents and enjoy the beach and a summer job um after completing her junior year of high school her parents had divorced and she lived primarily with her mom but she was on a teaching assignment in mexico where cindy herself had lived for six years um but yeah she just wanted to have a summer job and hang out with her grandparents and then you know she was going to go back with her mom to portland on a new assignment in the fall so on june 24 1979 so barely a few weeks after she got to this town Mm -hmm. um when lucinda was only 16 years old she was walking back to her grandparents house after a church meeting I apologize. My partner is making a smoothie, so if you just heard an ungodly noise in the background, you know um, that's that. They <laughs> do what they can, and we're gonna move on. We're gonna carry on with it. <laughs> it just adds to the ambiance, okay? Um, so she was leaving a church meeting at like seven forty-six or so in um, Redondo, California. As she was walking back, she was approached by two men in a silver nineteen seventy-seven GMC cargo van. They offered her, excuse me, excuse me, they offered her numerous things, including marijuana and a ride home to try to get her into the vehicle with them, but she declined all of their offers. Uh, They couldn't let that go, however, so a little ways up the road, uh, Cindy spots what appears to be the same van parked kind of like next to a driveway, only this time there's a man leaning into the side of the van through the side door. And only his, like, lower body and legs are visible. So imagine, like, if he's leaning in on his elbows and you can only see his lower half, like, sticking out. Weird. 
Um, but she has to go that way. So um, as she passes, she recognizes the men as the one she'd seen a few minutes ago. The man who is sticking, so not the driver, but the man who's sticking outside of the vehicle makes small talk as she passes before grabbing her and forcibly dragging her into the van, causing mm-hmm. one of her shoes to fall off. Mm-hmm. I won't walk past men if I'm walking alone at night. I've told this story before, but I was definitely at 16 years old approached by a van in the middle of the night walking home from my girlfriends. And obviously when someone's trying to do something nefarious, they don't know all the circumstances. My house was right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember the van creeping up really slow and then opening the door and seeing a man. And as soon as I saw it, I booked it right up to my house and they followed me to my house. Mm-hmm. And then when my dad came outside, they like sped off. Mm-mm. So obviously they were up to no good, mm-hmm. and it's just fucking sketch. Um, I hate people with names. Correct. <clears throat> so the reason I've never told the story is because of Cindy. So I've heard this a couple times, and every single time it makes me sick to my stomach. So you've been warned. Oh. Once Cindy was inside the van, she was able to get a glimpse into the really, really awful things that were in store for her. The van had no windows on the far side. Um, so the only visible windows were the, um, like the back two windows of the van, the little tiny ones, and where the sliding door opened, you could, you know, see. Um, but what she could see was a makeshift bed in the back of the van. Underneath the bed, this disgusting duo had placed various tools, as well as a cooler for drinks in case they got thirsty. Oh, perfect. And beer. She was immediately gagged with duct tape and her ankles and feet were bound while the man in the front seat turned the radio to full volume, silencing any screams or struggle that Cindy may have put up. That did become the pair's M.O. anytime they would abduct a victim moving forward. It's just to turn it all the way up. Cindy was then driven to the San Gabriel Mountains where the pair had recently replaced a lock on a fire road um, they had scouted in advance. Um... What Cindy couldn't know is that from February to June of 1997, these two deplorable pieces of shit had picked up over 20 female hitchhikers. The pair did not assault these girls in any way. Um, They were practice runs and were merely a way for them to develop ruses to lure girls into the van voluntarily um, and to discover secluded locations. And of course, the first girl they tried to really use that on, she said, fuck off because I'm a smart gal. Um, Wonderful. Correct. In late April, the pair found the isolated fire road in the mountains and broke open the lock gate with a crowbar and replaced replaced the lock with one they owned. Um, so not only were they absolutely sadistic, but they were prepared. Um, I mentioned it before, but there's something about Cindy that just makes this hard for me to tell and it's just her reaction to the entire thing is very unsettling um it was said that while she initially screamed in fault she pretty much immediately understood what was happening to her and gained her composure very quickly um and this is by the account of the killers and they said that Cindy, quote, displayed a magnificent state of self-control and composed acceptance of the conditions of which she had no control she shed no tears. Okay, first of all, they did not say that. They did. The, one of them. They said she shed no tears, offered no resistance, and expressed no great concern for her safety. I guess she knew what was coming. Ew. And the reason this bothers me so bad is as a child of trauma, and so many of us are. That's the thing. So many people have trauma. Mm-hmm. I've had new trauma as an adult. Mm-hmm. But there is a state that happens when you have severe trauma where you think your life is in danger. So people who are victims of violent assault, mm-hmm. sexual assault, things like that. And I've actually had this phenomenon happen to me where it's so bad that your brain is like, there is no way out. This is your only option. And mm-hmm. you experience a state of extreme calm. Hmm. Where you're, it's like the last thing your brain can do for you is to protect you mentally before you die. Ah. Yeah. We talk about that a lot in therapy because <laughs> that can happen, that thing can happen to you even if something physically traumatic doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. Because when you're a child and you don't understand emotions, even if you have like a neglectful mom or like a narcissistic parent, you can still experience that phenomenon. So I think that's why that one always really bothers me because I've felt that personally. And I think a lot of people have. Even if it's like a little thing, like 
you're on vacation doing like an excursion you slip and fall or something like mm-hmm. there's just times when we've all had like a like in mm-hmm. the car and you almost said something well there's oh like God. a moment where it goes from that racing feeling to acceptance <laughs> yeah so once they reached the location on the fire road the man who had pulled cindy into the car and who was back there with her advised the second man to take a walk for about an hour so at this time um he did unfortunately rape cindy and then when the second man returned he also violated cindy while the first man then went for a walk so they switched off when that first guy came back so the first guy was the one who had drug her into the car he assaulted cindy for a second time and during this time she only asked him one thing she asked if they were going to kill her to which he said no and then she said her only request was just a moment to pray before they killed her um if that was their intention and at this point i believe she knew she she knew there's like these guys are doing horrible things to you in the middle of nowhere she knows she's gonna die and all this girl wanted to do was just get right with god before she died and no matter what your belief like you can empathize with a person just wanting to make it right before they go and um of course being the pieces of shit that they are uh they denied her request and um when the second man came back as this conversation was happening, the two argued over whether or not they should kill her before the first man decided to manually strangle her. So this is the man that pulled her into the van. He manually with his hand strangled her for 45 seconds before stopping and going to the front of the van to vomit because of the look in her eye. At hmm. this time, the second man took over the manual strangulation and he did so until Cindy actually fell to the ground and was convulsing. He then twisted a metal coat hanger around her neck with vice grip pliers until she stopped convulsing and was believed to be dead. So not only did they rape her repeatedly, they tortured her to death and didn't even let her pray before. The only solace I get is believing that in the time they were arguing, she was utilizing that Mm -hmm. time and knowing me as bad things are happening to me, like I'll use that time if I have to, to say what I need to say to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So... Um, at this time, they wrapped her in a plastic shower curtain and threw her over a canyon that was selected by the driver, so the man who ultimately killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, he threw her over and said the animals would eat her up so there wouldn't be any evidence left. Um, and in fact, Cindy's body was never found. They only know that they killed her because, spoiler alert, when they do become arrested, they admit it. God damn it. Correct. Correct. Um, let me adjust in my seat real quick. And actually, let me put my mic back real quick. I don't want to hold it anymore. But what fucking dildos? They're impotent little bitch boys is what they are. Hold on. I've made mistakes. <laughs> Stand. There we go. Okay. So that was their first vi- victim, Cindy. The next victim, Andrea Hall, was born on October 21st. Mm. That's Maddie's birthday. I'm scared. I know. It's weird to me that the first one almost had my birthday and the second one had your birthday. Concerning. Um, she was born on October 21st, 1960 to Lloyd James Hall and Patricia R. Hall. Other than the fact that she was 18, blonde with blue eyes and small build, there really wasn't much I could find on Andrea. I mean, it was the 70s um, that this case happened. We do know from the accounts of her abductors and killers that she was hitchhiking on the Pacific Coast Highway on July 8th, 1979. Um, This was only two weeks after the rape and murder of Cindy, which also means that Cindy died right before her 17th birthday. And I just that just hit me Um, as the parish uh, slowed the van to offer Andrea a lift. Another vehicle actually pulled over and offered her one first, which she accepted. Uh, The men then followed the vehicle. Uh, from a distance until she got out at Redondo Beach. Um, On this occasion, one of the men hid in the back of the van in order to dupe Andrea into believing the other man was traveling alone so she would feel safer. Oh, wonderful. Once inside of the van, uh, one of them offered her a cold drink from the cooler in the rear of the van, and the second man, who had hidden behind a bedspread in the rear, pounced on her when she attempted to get the drink. They had a strenuous fight, um, but they ultimately managed to subdue her by twisting her arm behind her back, like pretty badly. It caused her to scream out in pain. And then they gagged her with the adhesive tape and bound her right away. Hmm. Um, yeah. Oops, excuse me. I lost my place. 
Just like with Cindy, the men drove Andrea to a secluded spot in the San Gabriel Mountains. Um, they continued with their previous M.O. Um, with the man who had been driving raping her while the other went for a walk. She was then assaulted by the second man and then again by the first man, the driver. Okay. Um, while she was being assaulted for the third time by the driver, um, the other man spotted what he believed to be headlights of a vehicle. He went off immediately to search for them while the first man grabbed Andrea. Um, he grabbed Andrea with his hand over her mouth and pulled her into nearby bushes. Ultimately, they were unable to find any vehicle and resolved to take Andrea further into the mountains. Um, just in case there were people driving by. Once there, Andrea was forced to walk naked uphill and forced to perform oral on the man who had assaulted her twice already. So the driver... It's interesting to me because obviously I know who the killers are and I've researched their independent track records. The driver, the one who has thus far done the killing yeah. and seemed to be more sadistic, did not have any prior sex crimes. However, hmm. the other man had numerous prior sex crimes. So I always found it to be really weird how in this duo then the, the driver ends up being more sexually sadistic because that was nothing to do with his M.O. before. Hmm. So it's almost like as it evolved, he just became more monstrous. Mm -hmm. um, so once there, this man um, forced her to perform oral, like I had mentioned, um, and he forced her to pose nude for some Polaroids. She was taken again to a third location and forced to walk uphill still naked. This time, however, the second man went to the liquor store, leaving her alone with this guy who had already assaulted her numerous times. I mean, not like any one of them is better than the other. Mm -mm. When the second man returned, Andrea was no longer there. And instead, he was shown two additional Polaroid photos. The first man confessed to his partner that he told Andrea he would kill her and challenge her to say as many things as she could to convince him to let her live. The resulting photos showed Andrea with a look in her eyes of what they quoted as sheer terror, likely aware she was going to die. So basically, he put her in the worst fear of her life, and then as she was begging for her life, took the photos. Um, after he was done fucking with her, he drove an ice pick through her ear and into her brain. Then, obviously, she's, like, down on the ground. He turned her body over so that he could do the same thing to the other ear, only this time he kicked it into her ear until it broke off. She still wasn't dead, so he strangled her before throwing her over a cliff, and her body has also never been found presumably eaten so we're doing great don't mind my little tappy taps okay. that's my those are my rage taps <laughs> as i scroll down what the fuck it's makes me afraid to exist in the world because i believe that ev like this is where it's at i think that of everyone that i see on the street until i know otherwise this is why people say it's not every man it's not every man, no. but the chance that even one man could do any of the things I'm describing to you to me means I have to live in fear mm -hmm. of every man mm -hmm. that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And honestly, some that I do. <laughs> no. And I'm not going to apologize for that because if you ask a woman what her biggest fear is, nine times out of ten she'll tell you a man. Mm -hmm. If you ask a man what his biggest fear is, it'll be some shit like losing my money. Yeah. Or like spiders. <laughs> not an entire species of fucking human beings. Yeah. They should fear us. We're revolting in the streets, bitch. It's true. Anyway, so fast forward to September 3rd. Jackie Doris Gilliam and Jacqueline Leah Lamp. So both are Jackie. So I'm going to refer to them moving forward by their last names just because it's a little bit confusing. Um, they were sitting on a bus stop bench near Hermosa Beach. So Jackie and Jackie had been hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway before resting at a bus stop. The two men offered the girls a ride, which they accepted. Inside the van, both girls were offered marijuana, which they also accepted. You're going to get real hot in a second when I tell you how old these children were. Shortly after entering the van, both girls realized that one of the men had steered the van off the Pacific Coast Highway and was driving in the direction of the San Gabriel Mountains. When the girls protested, both men attempted to make excuses, which did not deceive either girl. <laughs> Lamp who was only 13 years old, attempted to open the sliding door when one of the men hit her on the back of the head with a bag filled with lead weights, briefly knocking her unconscious before overpowering 15-year-old Gilliam. Mm. As he began to bind and gag Gilliam, 
Um, Lamp regained consciousness and again attempted to flee the van when he twisted her arm behind her back and dragged her back into the van. As the struggle ensued, so when you're when I'm telling you the story, the driver is always the same person, mm-hmm. and the man in the back is always the same person. The okay. driver is the one who's thus far killed the women. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same situation. Um, but as the struggle ensued, the driver was like, this is in front of witnesses, and these girls are putting up a fucking fight. Like, these girls, they were stopped, right? They were trying to drag them in. These girls were fighting. They were like, absolutely the fuck not. This girl got knocked out at 13 years old. Picture mm. a 13-year-old mm. with a bag of lead weights, got back up and said, fuck you, I'm out. I'm, I'm not doing fucking this. fucking done. Um, so... I'm sorry. I said it was stopped, but it wasn't. They were trying to drive. He then stopped the van, punched Gilliam in the face, um, which is the older girl. So Gilliam's a 15-year-old, and assisted the other man in finishing binding and gagging both of them. Gilliam and Lamp were driven to the San Gabriel Mountains, where they were held captive for almost two days, being bound and gagged between repeated incidents of sexual and physical abuse. Um, I say this because, according to the men... They did sexually abuse the older girl, Gilliam, but they did not rape the younger girl. Not that that brings me much solace, but they, for whatever reason, did not. Both men slept in the van alongside their hostages, with each alternatively acting as a lookout. On one occasion, um, oh, the killer walked, sorry, I I lost my place. The killer walked a lamp into a nearby hill and forced her to pose for pornographic pictures before returning her to the van. He also asked the other man to take several Polaroid pictures of himself and Gilliam, both nude and clothed. In the first of three instances in which the murder raped Gilliam, he also created a tape recording of himself raping her, forcing her to pretend she was his cousin, and informing her to feel free to express her pain. He is also known to have tortured her by stabbing her breast with an ice pick and using vice grip pliers to tear off part of one of her nipples. At 15 uh, years old. At 15 years old. No, not the nipple. My thing is, and I always say this, but obviously these girls did fight like they did. But if I know I'm going to die, you're going to kill me right here in this van. You are not going to fucking torture me. Mm-mm. I, you're, you're not. You're Mm-mm. not going to do it. But there's two men. So realistically, what could I do? I'm going to be tortured and killed. Like, that's just what it is. Mm. But it's sad to me because I feel like a lot of times when I hear these, the younger they are, the more they fight. And it just, you're already disgusting to me. You're already deplorable. But like. And they're all, all already children. Mm-hmm. But that's a baby. Mm-hmm. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. And I hope you get necrotizing fasciitis in your dick. I know. And it falls off. Anyway. Um, so, after almost two days of captivity, Lamp and Gilliam were murdered. At the first man's subsequent trial, the so as, at the driver's trial, the second man claimed that he had suggested that she be killed as quickly as... Uh, that she be killed quickly because unlike the younger girl, she had been largely cooperative throughout the period of her captivity. Um, but apparently the driver replied, no, they only die once anyway. So Gilliam was struck in her ear with an ice pick and then strangled to death like the other victims. After she was murdered, uh, the first man then forced Lamp out of the van. It, I'm going to give an extra trigger warning. Upon exiting the sliding door, he shouted to her, you wanted to say a virgin, now you can die a virgin. Hmm. So, thank you, I guess, for your sacrifice, sir. Um, And this is before the second man, who has typically, so all he's done thus far is strangled somebody for 45 seconds, not excusing his behavior, but he hasn't actually killed anyone yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he hit her in the head with a sledgehammer. Then the driver strangled her until he believed she had died, but then she opened her eyes, and the second man bludgeoned her repeatedly as the first man continued to strangle her to death. So this girl, at 13 years old, until the bitter end, was being hit in the head with a sledgehammer and strangled and was still refusing to die. Um, their bodies were then thrown over an embankment like the others. We're almost done. The pair abducted their final victim, 16-year-old Shirley Lynette Ledford, on October 31st, 1979. Not Halloween. Mm -hmm. Hers is the worst. 
Oh, no. Um, she was abducted as she stood outside a gas station, hitchhiking from a Halloween party in the Sunland, uh, Tijunga suburb of Los Angeles. Sorry if I said that wrong. <laughs> it's T-U-J-U-N-G-A. Tujunga. I feel like I'm right. not going to try it because if I'm also wrong, <laughs> we then we'll both, both be in there. Yeah, we can't both be in there. <laughs> um, Investigators believe Ledford accepted a ride home from the pair because she recognized Lawrence Bittaker, um, as he is known to have frequented the restaurant in which Shirley had a part-time job as a waitress. Um, once Shirley accepted, so Lawrence Bittaker is the driver. That's who's been driving. Lawrence Bittaker also is the one whose case files previously did not include sexual assault. Um... She was then offered marijuana by the second man, who we know to be Roy Norris, um, which she refused. She refused the marijuana. Bittaker drove the van to a secluded street where Norris drew a knife, then bound and gagged Shirley with construction tape. Hmm. Bittaker then traded places with Norris, who drove in an aimless manner for an excess of an hour as Bittaker remained with Shirley in the back of the van. So this is the first time that Bittaker has said, no, you drive. I want to be with the victim. This is also a victim that Bittaker knew because of the restaurant. After removing the construction tape from her mouth and legs, Bittaker tormented Shirley. He slapped her. He mocked her. He beat her with his fist and repeatedly shouted to her, say something. Then as she would begin to scream, he would shout at her to scream louder. As she continued screaming, he began asking her as he would hit her, What's the matter? Don't you like to scream? I wish this was a lie. As Shirley began to cry, she pleaded with Bittaker repeatedly saying, no, don't touch me. In response, he again ordered her to scream as loud as she wished, then began alternately striking her with a hammer, beating her breasts with his fist and torturing her with pliers, both between and throughout instances when he raped and sodomized her. Repeatedly, she can be heard, because he recorded it, pleading for the abuse to cease and making statements such as, oh no, no, as sounds of Bittaker alternately extracting either the sledgehammer or the pliers from the toolbox can be heard on a tape recorder he had switched on after entering the rear of the van. Norris later described hearing screams, constant screams emanating from the rear of the van as he drove. <clears throat> sorry i need a second oh shortly mm-hmm, well i listened to the tape oh under no circumstances should anyone listen to that tape i made it 15 seconds yeah um shortly after norris switched places with bitteker so now the driver's back in the driver's seat he himself switched on the tape recorder that bitteker had used to record you know what had been going on with shirley First, Norris shouted for Shirley to go ahead and scream or I'll make you scream. In response, she pleaded that she will scream if you stop hitting me. Then she admitted several high-pitched screams as Norris encouraged her to continue until he ordered her to, her to stop. That was part of what I heard on the recorder was her like forced screams when they were like, just do it and I'll stop. He then reached for the sledgehammer as Shirley, seeing him do this, screamed, oh no, I can't do it like she did it because it was blood curdling. So I'm just going to say, oh no. He then struck her once on her left elbow. In response, she informed him that he had broken her elbow before pleading, please don't hit me again. In response, he again raised the sledgehammer as Shirley repeatedly screamed, no. He then proceeded to strike her over 25 consecutive times on the same elbow with a sledgehammer before asking her, what are you sniveling about? As, he continu- as she continuously screamed and cried because her shit has been broken with a hammer. After approximately two hours of captivity, Norris killed Shirley. So this is his first victim in which he's killed them. He strangled her with a wire coat hanger, just like they had ultimately done with Cindy, which he tightened with pliers. Uh, she didn't react much to the act of strangulation, although she did die with her eyes open. At this point, I mean, I can only imagine that she was so sick of being tortured that death was 
a blessing. Um, Bittaker then decided to discard her body on a random lawn in order to view the reaction from the press. Yes, the pair drove to a randomly selected house so that they could traumatize more people who live there and possibly their children. And Norris threw her body in a bed of ivy in the front yard of a person's house. Um, so Shirley's body was found by a jogger. So thankfully not by whatever children or family was just living in their house that would never be able to look at their yard again. An autopsy revealed that in addition to having been sexually violated, she had died of strangulation after receiving extensive blunt force trauma to the face, head, breast, and left elbow, with her elbow sustaining multiple fractures. Her genitalia and rectum had been torn, caused in part by Bittaker having inserted pliers inside her body. In addition, her left hand had a puncture wound and a finger in her right hand had been slashed. Bittaker would later claim that the tape recording the pair had created of Shirley's clear abuse and torture offered nothing other than the evidence of a threesome, adding that, toward the very end, Ledford was screaming for him and Norris to kill her. Which she was, because she couldn't handle being tortured anymore, mm -hmm. and death was better. Mm -hmm. In November of 1979, Norris, so the man who had killed Shirley but who had otherwise not killed anyone became reacquainted with a friend named Joseph Jackson. He's an individual who he, had, who he was incarcerated with in the California men's colony, where he had also met and hatched his plans with Bittaker. So both men had separate lives where they, you can look into their other crimes. They have a lot of other crimes, but for the most part, Bittaker's crimes were like robbery, theft. Norris's crimes were all like sexual assault, beating women. Yet he was not the perpetrator of the majority of the, actual killing um but there's he, a spider on my ceiling where ah it's little it's okay we'll survive um so he confided in jackson regarding he and bittaker's exploits over the previous five months including graphic details of the murder of shirley ledford and that's the only victim whose body had been found so bear in mind that if he didn't open his mouth and they chose to dump her where they had they might have never been caught Norris also told Jackson that in addition to the five murders he and Bittaker had committed, there had been three additional incidents in which he and Bittaker had abducted or attempted to abduct young women who had either escaped their attacks or in one instance, they raped a woman and released her. Um, once he heard this confession, he consulted his own attorney who advised him to immediately inform the authorities, which he agreed to, and, he is, and his attorneys informed the Los Angeles Police Department um, who then contacted the Hermosa Beach Police, where the men were believed to have been committing their crimes. The Hermosa Beach detective named Paul Bynum was assigned to investigate Jackson's claims as to Norris's confessions of the murders, um, attempted abductions, and rapes uh, that had occurred between June and October. Bynum initially noted that Jackson's statements as to Norris's confessions did, in fact, match reports of several teenage girls who had been reported missing over the previous five months. In addition, the incident Norris had confided to Jackson where he claimed he and Bittaker had sprayed mace in the face of a woman who had then been dragged into Bittaker's van and raped by both men matched a report filed in relation to an incident that occurred on September 30th. In this filed report, a young woman named Robin Roback had been sprayed in her face with mace before being dragged into a van and raped by two Caucasian men in their mid-30s before being released. Although Roback had reported the abduction and rape to police, they had been unable to identify the men. Mm. Bynum dispatched an investigator to visit Roback at her residence in Oregon to show her a series of mugshots. And without hesitation, she positively identified the two uh, photos presented to her um, as those men who had kidnapped and raped her on the 30th of September. The two individuals she identified were Bittaker and Norris. After linking Bittaker and Norris to the rape of Robin Roback, the Hermosa police um, placed Norris under surveillance, and within days, they had observed his dealing in marijuana. On November 20th, 1979, Not he was- marijuana. This is the one time somebody getting arrested for marijuana was <laughs> yeah. um, So he gets arrested by the Hermosa Beach Police Department for a parole, parole violation because mm. both men are still on, on parole. parole. Of course. Correct. Correct. 
The same day at the Burbank Motel where he resided, Bitteker was arrested for the rape of Robin Roback. Although Robin had identified the mugshots of Bitteker and Norris, she was unable to positively identify her assailants in the lineup. I have my own theories as to why, but I feel like actually looking at people who like tortured you, because I mean, she was let to live, but she was still raped. I might be compelled to just be like, mm-mm. Like, I don't want to face that. And that's what's so fucked up about our justice system. How victims have to... I've said it so many times. Mm-hmm. They have to sit at trial and stare in the face of a person who, what, stabbed their fucking breast and yeah. try like, whatever. So... It's nasty. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, the police observed Norris dealing in marijuana and Bitteker had been in possession of drugs at the time of his arrest, so both were held on charges of parole violation. So they were like, fuck you both. We got you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, a search of Bitteker's apartment revealed several Polaroid photographs which were determined as depicting Hall and Gilliam. Um, Andrea Hall was the second victim, and then Gilliam was the third that was Jackie. Mm-hmm. She was the older Jackie. Um, both of whom who had been reported as missing earlier the same year. Inside Bitteker's van, investigators discovered a sledgehammer, a plastic bag filled with lead weights, a book detailing how to locate police radio frequencies, a jar of Vaseline, two necklaces that were later confirmed as belonging to the victims, and a tape recording of a young woman in obvious distress, screaming and repeatedly pleading for mercy while being tortured and sexually abused. The mother of Shirley Ledford named by Jackson as being one of the girls whom Norris had confessed he had killed. So basically Jackson named Shirley Ledford when he told the police and the lawyer because they had, he had given them that name. Um, so the mother <clears throat> identified the voice on tape as being that of her only daughter. And the voices of the two men were confirmed to be Roy Norris and Lawrence Bittaker. So not only was her daughter tortured, but then she was forced to listen to that tape of her daughter being tortured so she could identify her through, which I don't even know how she could do because she didn't sound like a human being. It was blood-curling mm-hmm. screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, also found in his motel were seven bottles of various acidic materials. Investigators later discovered that he planned to use them on their next victim. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Inside the apartment, police discovered a bracelet he had taken from Shirley Ledford's body as a souvenir. Also found at the homes of both Bitteker and Norris were Polaroid pictures of almost 500 teenage girls and young women, most of which had apparently been taken at Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach, with others taken by Bitteker at a Burbank high school. Most of the pictures had been taken without the girls' knowledge or consent. Fantastic. You guys, we're almost at the end. We just want to find out what happened to these scumbags and carry on with their lives. Uh, I hate when I push down one too far and then I gotta go, okay. When it came to Bitteker on February 17th, 1981, after deliberating for three days, the jury found him guilty of five counts of first-degree murder, one charge of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, five charges of kidnapping, nine charges of rape, two charges of forcible oral copulation, one charge of sodomy, and three charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. Deliberations as to whether Bitteker should be sentenced to death or life without parole began on February 19th. The jury deliberated for only 90 minutes um, before they returned with their verdict. He was sentenced to death for the five counts of first-degree murder upon which the prosecution had um, sought the penalty. He showed no emotion as the verdict was delivered, although he did stare at the jurors. Hmm. Um, Superior Court Judge Thomas Fredericks then ordered him to appear in court on March 24th for his formal sentencing. Wonderful. Don't worry, guys. We're only doing, like, very basic stuff about the trial. We're not digging into that today. On March 24th, in accordance with the jury verdict, Bitteker was formally sentenced to death. In the event that the sentence imposed was ever reverted to life imprisonment due to state changes, Judge Thomas Fredericks imposed an alternative sentence of 199 years, four months imprisonment to take immediate effect. Hmm. He was like, you mm-hmm. might not die in here. Or you might not die like from that, but you ain't die in here. going home. Yeah. Bitteker successfully received more than one stay of execution before he died while incarcerated on death row at San Quentin State Prison on December 13th, 2019 at the age of 79. Hmm. Unfortunately, he died of natural causes. But it gives me some solace knowing he was not a free man and there were, in fact, no women to assault. Mm -hmm. 
Um, on March 18th of 1980, Norris pleaded guilty to four counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder in relation to Andrea Hall, two counts of rape, and one count of robbery. Formal sentencing was postponed until May 7th. In return for Roy Norris agreeing to plead guilty and testify against Bittaker, prosecutors had agreed to seek neither the death penalty nor life without parole at the upcoming hearing. So their deal was, you roll over on him, we won't sentence you to death, and we won't take uh, parole off the table. Mm. Which is stupid to me, because his rap sheet prior to this was way longer than Bittaker's, and he had done way more hateful things. He had actually um, bludgeoned a woman nearly to death outside of like a university, and had sexually assaulted someone else. Um, Jesus Christ. And had done other crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to his sentencing, Norris was reviewed by a probation officer who testified at his sentencing that Norris had again accused Bittaker of the actual torture of their victims and that for Norris himself, the feeling of power and dominance he had over the victims was the main overriding factor as opposed to having sexual intercourse with them. Like, you raped every one of them, so shut the fuck up. Um, the probation, <laughs> that's how I feel. <clears throat> the probation officer added that Norris never exhibited any remorse or compassion about his brutal acts toward the victims. The defendant appears compulsive in his need to inflict pain and torture upon women. In conclusion, the probation officer testified that Norris can realistically be regarded as an extreme sociopath whose depraved pattern of behavior is beyond rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. Yeah. I would agree. Um, correct. So he was sentenced to 45 years to life imprisonment with eligibility to parole, for parole from 2010. However, he was not paroled, at least by that time, and he also died of natural causes in the California Medical Facility on February 24, 2020, at the age of 72, having been transferred to this facility one week prior to his death for health complications. Perfect. So... The takeaway is the 70s was a wild time. I know none of us are hitchhiking anymore, but please don't fucking do Mm-mm. it. it. It's not worth it. Mm-mm. It is certainly not to say none of these women are at fault, even women who accept of rides. Not. It does not matter if you accept a ride. It doesn't matter if you accept a date. It doesn't matter if you're making out with a man and then halfway through change your mind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're 13. It doesn't matter if you're 70 fucking two. No is no. Nothing is your fault if somebody does it to you. Mm-hmm. Against your will. And we love you so much. And we're sorry we traumatized you with this episode. Yeah, it was really traumatizing. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but it is part of our great nation's history. So <sighs> here we are. Um, perhaps the next one won't be so egregious. Bye. Bye. Bye.